Let's continue worship with a reading from Hebrews 5:12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the actual words of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unacquainted with the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, y'all. Welcome to church. That was pretty good. Y'all uh, say hello to someone as you sit down. <clears throat> Thank you, buddy. Uh, my name is Scott. I am the executive pastor here at the church, and I'm going to be filling in for Chris this morning. As you can see, he was busy this week. And when we saw the pictures, we were really worried about his attitude just a little bit. And so we, uh, and the other reason is that my messages are usually a little shorter than Chris's. <laughs> I think. I think that's the real reason. Okay. Uh, But we're in a series called Maturity is Optional, and we just want to continue that thought this morning because last week, I don't know about you, but there was a certain point in the message where Chris was kind of laying out the two alternatives, you know, to growing in Christ or just opting out, not, not growing in Christ. And then he just paused for a moment and said, after all, maturity is optional. And there were gasps in the, in the room. I mean, just like, it hit home at that moment that growing up in Christ is not something that just happens to us apart from our cooperation with God and participating in that. And so we want to kind of continue that thought this morning. We're in the middle of it. So the, today is kind of like a pause, and we're going to reflect back and look forward just a little bit. When Jesus was beginning his earthly ministry, he collected a group of ragtag guys. I like to call the dirty dozen sometimes, the disciples. Uh, They were not the normal prospects for starting a movement that's going to change the entire world. But his invitation to them when he called them was very, very simple and very, very clear. It was simply this, follow me. You see that repeated over and over in Scripture. About 14 times he invites people to follow him. And it pretty much sums it all up. The Christian life begins and it continues with a series of decisions to follow Christ in all things. Salvation is just the doorway we enter into to begin a life of saying yes to Jesus to all the different areas of our life. So Jesus didn't give them a rule book. He didn't give them a program of a bunch of steps. He simply said, follow me. It begins in the beginning of his ministry, the middle of his ministry, and the end of his ministry. In the very beginning, he spoke to a couple of fishermen in Peter and Andrew on the beach in Galilee, and he just simply said to them, hey guys, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. When he called Matthew, who happened to be a tax collector and was greatly hated by everybody, probably including the other disciples, he simply said to Matthew one day, follow me. Those two words, Matthew dropped everything, and followed Jesus. He called the rich young ruler who was interested in kind of adding eternal life to his collection of other things that he had collected in his life. And Jesus said to him, go away and sell your stuff, get rid of your stuff, and come follow me. He taught the disciples, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they say it with me. Follow me. Very good. And he also said, and whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We start to get it. Following Jesus, being with Jesus, growing in maturity is a series of steps of saying yes to Christ as he invites us to follow him. And maturity develops 
as we take step by step, day by day, saying yes to Jesus. I grew up in a tradition that really emphasized uh, very seriously that first yes to Jesus, saying yes to Christ for salvation, but oftentimes didn't continue to point out that we have to keep saying yes to Jesus day by day because he's going to invite us into challenges. He's going to rescue us from things that come up in our life. And he, he says, follow me in this situation. The disciples, they didn't always get it right. In fact, more often they, they didn't. I, I, I chuckle sometimes when I'm reading scriptures. He told them one day, he goes, I am the way, now get this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Thomas says, Jesus, just show us the way. And a man of Jesus did a double take. What did, did you hear what I just said? He taught them, uh, one time he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they get into a big debate on the boat. Did we forget the lunch? Is Jesus mad at us because we forgot the lunch? And Jesus, ah. Oh. And then another, another time he'd been teaching them on love and compassion and mercy. And he sent some of them ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare his arrival. And the people didn't receive him too well. They didn't treat the disciples too well. Did they turn the other cheek? Uh, no. Did they show them love and mercy? No. James and John comes back to Jesus and catch this. They say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? And imagine Jesus just, oh, guys, he named them sons of thunder after that. They were slow in the process. I find it personally encouraging that it took them a process, a time to do that, to grow. Spiritual maturity is a day-by-day -day decision to follow Jesus. Each day we make decisions and how we treat people, and how we deal with temptation, challenges, and difficulties that we have in our life. And nobody, nobody gets it perfect. Nobody other than Jesus. We fail, we stumble, we miss it. And then a part of following Jesus is getting back up, asking his forgiveness, and continuing to follow him. But here's the question. What happens if we don't do that? What happens if we don't continue what happens if we don't continue to say yes and press into following him? We end up with a stunted relationship with God. And one of two things happen to us. Either one, we begin to treat Christianity like a compartmentalized section of our life. Kind of like the rich young ruler. You know, he wanted to add Jesus to his life, but keep everything else that was distracting his heart. A little slice of Jesus because he's good. You know, he's good, so I want a little bit of him in our life. Which brings to question, if that's where we are, are we really following Jesus? Or secondly, we remain immature, stunted in our growth, in our soul, in our spirit. We grow up in our bodies, but we remain babies in our souls and immature. And the Bible talks about our, our process of growth by what we consume spiritually. And it talks about drinking milk, just like a baby, as a young Christian. In 1 Peter 2, 2, it says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. It's totally normal for babies to drink milk. That's what babies drink. There's nothing wrong with it. It helps them grow strong. It helps them develop uh, physically. In the same way, when we first come to Christ, there are some very elemental, uh, uh, elementary fundamental things that we need to get a hold of, the love of God, forgiveness, repentance, uh, daily meeting with him. Those are essential things that the Lord begins to feed us from his word. But later on, the scriptures indicate that we should grow up to become more mature and kind of get into some steak, okay? Some heavy-duty stuff. In Hebrews 5.12, it says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, 
you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the actual words of God. And you have come to need milk again and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unacquainted with the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice because of practice, have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. God's intention is that we grow up and that we mature. Maturity is optional. I think it was the first week when Chris was talking to us about this. He, he used the example of what, ha- you know, what happens if we, we don't grow up. We have this delayed growing up. If we remain babies. And so I've got a couple of pictures I want to show. There we go. Um, Yes, and we will offer therapy after the service because those images will stick with you. Uh, Immaturity in a grown-up is not a pretty picture, is it? And it's not normal, just as it's also not normal for uh, a baby to be expected to grow up instantly. I've got another couple of pictures there. They're in our nursery right now, a couple of businessmen that are back there. It is kind of funny, though. I thought, you know, at the end of our life, we kind of end up like these guys, or at least the guy on the left, not a lot of hair, and in a suit. But, you know, we look at that and we go, that's not right either. You don't expect someone who's just come to Christ to instantly grow up. It takes time. It is a process. And we look at that. It's just like my granddaughter, the first time she saw a Cabbage Patch Baby. I took her up to see the Cabbage Patch Babies in Cleveland, I think it is. And she looked at that Cabbage Patch Baby, and then she looked at me, and it's like, that's not right. That's just not, not right. There's something wrong there. Can I just have a teddy bear or a kitty or a puppy dog or something that day? So, no, growing up is what takes time. But what's sad is when we get older, but inside emotionally, we're still acting like a baby. Spiritually, we're still stunted in our growth. It's an intentional process of many steps. And there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. It's an intentional series of choices. Maturity is optional where we take responsibility We take ownership of our spiritual life. We don't wait for someone else to do it to us, but we participate in it. And sometimes I think about how I respond to things. And and I've got a couple of pictures here. You know, which one should I have hanging around my neck? You know, should this be a passy or should, should it be a cross? Because growing up begins to embrace the cross, the sacrifice of Christ and of us carrying that life of sacrificially giving away ourselves and our rights to follow him. Which one better depicts the Christian life? Well, in some degree, both of them do because there is a time when we're in the milk. That's good. But we need to grow up. We need to put away childish things. Paul wrote about this. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I put childish things behind me or put those things away. What helps me in understanding this is looking at the big picture of what God is up to. I mean, asking the questions which we probably have all asked at some time or another, why am I here? Why did God make us? What's my purpose in life? The Bible begins to paint a beautiful, large, cosmic picture. It's a drama from beginning to end. It's God's story 
of what he is doing with us. He created us in his image, remember, in the Garden of Eden. We were made to know him. We were made to fellowship with him, to walk with him, to, to, to know his voice and to be with him in absolute perfection. And that's the way God created us. His original intention is seen right there, to live in fellowship with him without the damage of sin ruling and damaging our life even more. Just imagine what would our lives be like if, if that's where we were. What would it be like without the damage of sin? without the hurts that have been inflicted upon us because of sin, but without the hurts that we've caused others because of sin. Living a life shaped in the image of God, walking with him, would be like Eden. It would be like heaven on earth. And when you see that picture, let your imagination carry you there. Imagine that for a few moments. That is God's intention. That is his original intention for all of us. The narrative in Genesis tells us that through our own disobedience, men and women chose to disobey, to be, be their own boss. And we all fight with that tendency. Call our own shots. Be in charge. Do our own thing. And because God did not make us robots, he made us with free will. Our choice and our choices wreak havoc in our lives and in all of creation. But here's the thing. God's original intention never changed. And he has been working throughout the ages to restore, to rescue our hearts, to restore us, and to redeem us back to the original intention, which will ultimately be completely accomplished in the days ahead. The Bible is a love story of the pursuit of God after our hearts, pursuing your heart, to heal your heart from the effects of sin, to redeem you back from the damage of sin, and to restore you to his original intention. Listen again to these two prayers of Paul. He's praying basically these type of things over us. He says in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart... Now, where are the eyes of your heart? What are the eyes of your heart? He's praying about something specifically that we all have, the ability within our heart to see something that is being revealed, something that is spiritual, something that is God's intention. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and the incomparably great power for those who believe. Now, it's cool to read that and go, that's a neat verse. But one of the things I'd like to challenge you to do is to take prayers in the Bible and pray them, personalize them, and pray that verse back to God. And it might look something like this, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. Help me to see you so that I can know the hope that I am called with. And let me see the riches of your glorious inheritance in me. Let me know, let me know and experience your incomparable great power that is available to me. I encourage you and challenge you to pray that. Paul goes on in Ephesians 3, and he has another prayer. He goes, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and being established in love, may have power together with all of God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that is surpassing knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Whoa, selah. You just have to pause and reflect on that. How would we pray that? Lord, fill me with you. Root me in your love. Help me grasp your love's width, your love's length, your love's height, and the depth of your love. And then fill me up with that love to the same quantity and the same quality that fills you. That's what that prayer is about. Maturity is optional, but the options and the opportunities to mature are absolutely astounding. And listen, again, we stumble, we fail, we sin, we make mistakes, but God, and we sang this earlier, he never gives up on us. He never throws away the plan. He never stops continuing to 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 draw us and to push us and to make all of us available. Lord, we have to be honest with the Lord. We're in a battle. Our hearts get wounded. This is real. It's not make-believe. This is the real thing. But he is still committed to us to, to bring us to that point and accomplish these things in our life. Paul wrote this in Philippians 1. He goes, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What God starts, he's saying he's going to finish, and I'm confident of that. He's working, and he's not giving up. He's not quitting. And he goes on in, in verse 13, for it is God who works in you doing two things, both to will, in other words, to encourage us and to help us have the will, and to act in order to fulfill his purpose. The first week, Chris talked about redemption for a few moments. And redemption is not just what happened to us when we were saved. It did happen then. We were redeemed. But it's what's happening to us every day as God continues to work within us. God is rescuing and redeeming us for eternity day by day. He's at work. He's working in all areas of our life now. So we are redeemed but there is a redeeming work of God today. And one of the prayers that, that I'm learning to pray is, Lord, today in the compartments and the areas of my life, continue to do your redeeming work. Don't let me compartmentalize. Don't let me close certain doors and not let you in. But instead, when I find these places, let me throw the doors open in honesty and say, Lord, come in. I'm struggling with this. Come and be with me here. Come and work. Shed your light right here. And that process is a part of the process of being matured slowly. Um, we've talked a little bit about the fact that there are practices and rhythms that we can establish, choices that we make. Uh, like the first week, we talked about engaging in spiritual formation, which may be a new word. It basically means growing up spiritually, discipleship. We talked about embracing community, being connected and committed to one another. And those are two interesting things. You know, one of the things I thought about spiritual formation, we, we typically think that the way God works, the only way God works is through Bible studies and worship services and small groups and things like that. But you know that one of the areas God uses, one of the things that God uses is difficulty and challenges in our life. Uh, in James, 
I didn't put this in the notes, but I was reading it this morning. He, James writes, consider it pure joy, pure joy, 100% joy, brothers, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And then he continues to say, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking in anything. And so God will even use the difficulties in our life to, to draw us and crowd us to him. In the area of community, if you haven't discovered this yet, you will discover it. People aren't perfect. There, there is no perfect church. I like our motto, a pretty good church, you know, because it's just honest. And it is. It's a, it's a pretty good church. Uh, we didn't say it's a perfect church because we're a part of it. And part of the, the reality is that in relationships and even in churches, sometimes we will rub one another a little bit, Right? And you just go, you know, just, and what happens with that is it brings things out in our heart that aren't so pretty. Uh, a friend of mine used to call uh, relationships heavenly sandpaper <laughs> because God will use those things that happen to make things surface in our own life to show us, hey, here's an area that I want to work uh, in your life at. And that's part of us being together. Um, you hear the passion for maturity in the Apostle Paul's writing, again in Philippians 3. Listen to him. He says, not that I've already obtained this. I like his honesty. I'm not there yet. This is the Apostle Paul, by the way, guy who wrote most of the New Testament. He goes, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Now, God's still using him. God's using him to write the Bible. But he says, I'm not there yet. Don't think that you have to get to some, some benchmark for God to use you. No, 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 that's, that's not right. Throw that away. We oftentimes convince ourselves, well, I'm not good enough. I haven't been in church long enough. I don't do this and that. I haven't been to Bible school or a class or whatever. No, throw all that out. God uses us. He's working within us. And he, he says, I've not obtained it. I'm not there yet. Or he says, I have already been made perfect or mature. But this is what I do. I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I like that word. Draw me heavenward. You see Paul's passion this is his passion. This is his purpose. And it's impossible to do this apart from God's grace. Absolutely. But it also doesn't happen without our participation. You hear this again in Paul's choice of words that are in these verses. He goes, press on, letting go. These are action words, straining forward, pressing on. Dallas Willard once wrote, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. He went on to say, you have never seen a people more active than those who have been set on fire by the grace of God. And we do stumble sometimes. We fail, fail sometimes in this process, but failure is not final unless we throw in the towel, unless we just quit. And some people do. Some, and we're all tempted to at some point, and some do. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote this about us being aware of this need for Christ. He said, the, the self-awareness of inadequacy, which also 
may be a kind gift of God drives us to Christ. So many things in our life, even our own failures, crowd us to Christ. Our hurts and our wounds that we experience in life, it can drive us away. We have that choice. Or we can choose to let it crowd us to Christ and come to him with our aches, our confusion, our questions, and just say, Lord, I just draw close to you. I need you desperately. And let it crowd us to Christ. It, it, it is optional, but we make that choice. Even our failures. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. I love this. He goes, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. That's maturity. Now, why this emphasis? Why this series? Why were we taking time to point out the necessity of intention, intentionality? I can say that word. Intentionality when it comes to spiritual and emotional maturity. And, and here's why. Because in life... There's no standing still. There's no static position. We're either moving in one direction or another direction. There's no sitting it out. There really is no spectator Christianity. There's no consumer Christianity where we just shop for the parts that we like. There's no sitting on the fence because there is no fence. Just read the words of Jesus. Just read those words. The fact is we're either being... We're either drawing close to Christ intentionally, pursuing him, or we're being moved by the influential currents of this world that sweep us away in another direction. And it could be the world, it could be our own flesh, and it could even be the enemy. Or we choose to intentionally press on towards Christ and allow his redemption to rescue and rule in all the areas of our life. You know, when you get into a river, you're either going to navigate through that river to reach your destination or you're going to be caught up in that river and it's going to control you. I do a little bit of fly fishing. I can't tell you how many times the river has won. Just ask my son-in-law, Kelly, who has rescued me over and over again. And one of the first lessons that I learned is when you're wearing those waders and you tip over, they fill up. <laughs> and when they fill up, you sink. And it's not a pretty sight. So you have to learn to navigate in those rivers or you get carried away. Drifting is easy. Being swept away is easy. It takes absolutely no effort. Effortlessly, you can get there. It can even be comfortable for a while. One of my uh, early mentors in life and in ministry was a guy named Dan DeHaan. And um, uh, Dan invented the word cool. He was cool. You know, Steve McQueen was cool, but Dan was maybe even cooler. Uh, he was an extreme sport kind of guy. He ran the Boston Marathon. He skied the Alps and the Rockies. He built his own sports car in his garage. I kid you not. He built this, it looked like a DeLorean. He built it in his garage. And the thing was so low and so fast. I rode with him in the North Georgia mountains. And you're so low and so fast, you actually feel like you're simply dragging your butt on the, on, the, on the road as you fly up and down those roads. It was the weirdest thing, and you're just cooking. Um, he would scuba dive. He skydived. He was a pilot. He would fly to his speaking engagements. And on one particular occasion... Dan and some guys went whitewater rafting um, on their own, without a guide, in a challenging river that they had never navigated. And it happened to be a beautiful day, clear skies, 
you know, gentle waters. It was very smooth sailing. In fact, it was so comfortable in the warm sun and the gentle flow of the river that they fell asleep in their rafts. I mean, just snoozing going down these, this uh, beautiful river until Dan, who was in the lead raft, woke up to a gentle rumble off in the distance. It continued to grow and grow and grow until suddenly it became a roar. He looked in the direction of where this was coming and all he could see was the river and air <laughs> and a mist coming up. And he realized what was taking place. The fact was it was too late. So he yelled to the other guys. He goes, bail out at the waterfall as he went over. And I remember Dan, for a couple of weeks, he was limping around. He was beat up. He was bruised by that experience. Um, but he survived the day, fortunately, although pretty banged up for it. And his advice to us, I remember being in a staff meeting after that, and his advice was this, guys, drifting can be dangerous. <laughs> yeah, obviously, Dan. But he goes, no, 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 no. In our Christian life, drifting can be dangerous. It's comfortable, it's easy, it takes no effort, but it can be very, very dangerous. And it's a good lesson. Spiritual growth, maturity, is optional. And sometimes it requires us to go against the grain. Sometimes we have to choose even against our own desires and our own flesh, even the ease of life itself. When Jesus was talking to his disciples one day, Luke 9, 23, this is worthy of memorization, he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's intentionality. The apostle Paul, we saw that was his own personal desire for his life, but it was also his passion and his burden for everyone. In Colossians chapter 1, he wrote this, we proclaim him, that's Jesus, admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom so that we may present every person, what? Complete, mature in Christ. For this purpose, he says, I also labor, striving according to his power, which works mightily within me. That is his desire and his prayer for us. It is God's desire for us to mature us. The invitation to follow Jesus is still just as vivid today as it has ever been, just as relevant today as any time in history. For those who have never made the decision, and maybe they're struggling even this morning, of why am I here? Why did God make me? Is there a God? His invitation is, come, follow me, he says. Come, follow me. Come. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he invites us to come, discover our purpose for why we were made. Discover and be restored to the original purpose, the Garden of Eden, which, by the way, is going to be fulfilled at the coming of Jesus Christ when he restores all things, including us and everything, to be known by him, to be loved by him, and to know him and love him back. He has been pursuing you and pursuing us throughout all of the ages. And then secondly, He's inviting those of us who've accepted Christ to maybe re sign up again for the race. Maybe get back in the race. You may be here today and say, well, I've kind of been sitting it out for a while. You know, no, you know, we think we're sitting out, but we're kind of drifting away. And maybe today the Lord's Spirit is just drawing you back in, reminding you how much he loves you 
and all that he desires to do in your life and for you and with you. He wants to rescue, uh, restore, redeem all the places in our heart that have been broken and bruised and disappointed. You may be here this morning and, and, and maybe, maybe many, maybe everybody to say, yeah, there's areas of my life that are pretty banged up and bruised in so many ways. God wants to restore those. Maturity, I'll say in closing, it may be optional, but it sure is rewarding. It sure is rewarding being freed from the damage of sin that is done in our life, being formed more and more and more into the image of Jesus, the very purpose that he created you for as his son and his daughter. And he invites us today to participate in that. So during this series, uh, it's our prayer, it's our hope that God will stir that passion up within us, that we would say like Paul, this is what the one thing I'm doing, forgetting what lies behind. I'm pressing in on, on God, pressing to know him even more so. And we invite the Holy Spirit to come and by his grace to enable us to do that. But we participate through the action of saying yes to him. We are, um, at this point of the service, we like to take a few moments and come to the Lord's table. If you're a guest today, we invite you to participate with us in this. And we like to just kind of...